1: Welcome to the World in Sport, I'm Vinnie Wiley. This week, Tonga's home rugby test against Wales has moved offshore, PNG rugby is headed to court, and the PNG cricketers face another long wait. But first, LA Opilong's Olympic silver medal has finally arrived in Samoa after an extended delay. Pipilong initially finished fourth in the women's over 75 kilograms division at the 2008 Beijing Games, but a reanalysis of samples from nine years ago found the silver and bronze medalists tested positive for banned substances. The president of the Samoa Weightlifting Federation, Jerry Warwick, says the next step is to finally hold an official reception to celebrate history.
2: It has uh, dragged out quite a bit. It's taken a couple of months uh, since uh, since they advised us. But, uh, you know, nevertheless, uh, better late than never. And uh, I can confirm now that the medal is actually here. It arrived last week. And, uh, you know, it's a it's a proud moment, very happy moment for Samoa. Uh It's very unfortunate that Ellie is not here at the moment, but uh, we are working on it to get her across. She's in New Zealand. She's living in New Zealand. And she's sorting out some uh, issues with her uh, residency before we bring her across for the official presentation from the government and from the country.
1: What? caused such a delay
2: from as far as what i've been told the previous uh, winner or whoever they had it before would not own up the medal not give it up and uh, after many requests and many attempts by the international Olympic committee i think she still didn't give it up so eventually they had to source out an, a new medal get it engraved and send it send it to
1: so even though she'd been disqualified and, and proven to be a drugs cheat she still refused to give up the medal
2: That's the case, that's what I've been told. And, uh, you know, it it, it just really delays. It's delayed it already. Uh, You know, we've had to wait eight years, and then on top of that, we've had to wait another couple of months. This whole process it's really unfair for countries like us, like Samoa, smaller countries.
1: You know, as you've said previously, LA will never have that moment on the podium, on the dais, you know, at the games. That was taken away from her. But uh, in the near future, she will be back in Samoa, and you will be able to have the ceremony and, you know, celebrate the achievement for what it's worth. For the country,
2: yeah, She lost the whole glory and, uh, you know, we're just trying to make up for it now and in front of the country and they have a presentation, uh, get the government involved, get our National Olympic Committee and have the whole country. The, the country is uh, its history and, uh, you know, it, there's a lot of joy here to win a civil medal at the Olympic Games and we just want to have it official done in front of the country.
1: How long away do you think that date is as she sorts out her residency in New Zealand? Uh, how, how long do you think until that ceremony in Samoa can take place?
2: At the moment, I, I can't confirm exactly. Uh, we are hoping it will be very soon. And the sooner we can get it done, the better. So we can have it all done and uh, get it out of the way. Uh, you know, it, it has dragged out quite a bit. And, uh, you know, finally, we want to get the presentation, get Ellie here, put it on her neck. You know, the medal's here, but it doesn't feel right. The, the winner's not here.
1: The president of the Samoa Weightlifting Federation, Jerry Warwick. The Ikaletahi are still hopeful of playing in Tonga this year despite confirmation the June test against Wales will not be played in Nuku'alofa. The Wales rugby union had expressed concerns about the availability of medical cover in Tonga in case of a serious injury and about the readiness of Tifaiva National Stadium, which is being redeveloped for the twenty nineteen Pacific Games. The Ikaletahi have not played on home soil since two thousand and nine. Tonga coach Totoe Kefu says they are desperate to change that
3: kind of knew a while back that it was heading down the track where that Welsh Chess was not going to be in Tonga, um, but there was still a possibility that two Rugby World Cup qualifiers may still be in Tonga. We're still clinging on to that. Um, look, from my point of view, we're desperate to play at home we haven't played the test for a good chunk of 10 years i think now which is which is a terrible position to be in especially this year we need to qualify for the world cup 2019 and having those two world cup qualifiers at home gives us a huge advantage but not only that the guys can play in front of their home crowd uh, family friends back on the island and that means a lot Um, I remember I played some games at Telviva and and the support that the locals give the team is is something to be seen, it it is. And if we played in Tonga uh, against Fiji and Samoa, uh, that would give us a huge advantage and I'd be quite confident, as well as having a good team on the field, um, of coming away with two wins. That's how important it is to play in front of our home crowd.
1: Because you played both matches, Last year in the World Cup qualifiers away from home, are you then in theory eligible to play both at home this year?
3: Yeah, I was giving confirmation that those two games could be played in Tonga if if only if the venue was um, obviously ready to be played on.
1: What involvement does the TRU have in this? Are you guys just kind of observers and hoping the government and the Tasinok and stuff can, can get it ready for the games? I know Papua New Guinea are meant to be helping out there or are you guys having an active involvement?
3: No, we don't have an active involvement. I mean, only from the sidelines. Really, it's the the government in association with with the Tongan Rugby Union um, organising themselves to get things done and get things started. Uh, It's well documented that, you know, we have our issues with governance and administration. So obviously there's a lot of um, obstacles to get that heading in the right direction or to, to even be on the right track. So, look, we're just hopeful. Uh, that's all we can do as players and, and, and management, and, and fingers crossed.
1: What is your understanding about what the requirements are to make it fit for play?
3: With the Welsh, they were concerned about uh, the medical facilities. They were concerned in terms of their, if there was a head trauma, that they would need um, you know, a plane on standby to fly someone to New Zealand, I suppose. Uh, they there also concerns regarding the stadium, uh, the actual pitch, it would have to be 100% percent returfed. turfed uh, And that was, from my understanding, it, you know, the grass takes three to four months to grow. And then obviously after that, there's obviously trial periods where you need to practice and play on it before a, uh, a live, uh, one-off televised test could be actually played on it. Um, and there was actually the stadium and, 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 and the surroundings. There's also actually the manpower, the, you know, there's security, there's ticketing. So there's a whole lot of issues involved. There was no doubt that it would get done, um, because as you mentioned, the Pacific Games was coming up in the next couple of years. So they obviously had a bigger time frame then, but to get it ready for our tests in June, they were just going to cut it too short. If they addressed it a long time before Christmas last year, um, maybe there was a chance that they would get it done.
1: And so now that we know the match is not to be held in Tonga, New Zealand seems the most obvious alternative and so it's about finding a venue that, that works. Is it, is it Tonga Rugby's job to arrange that?
3: Tonga Rugby in association with, with World Rugby because it's still our home ground. So the next logical choice for us to have a home game is, is probably in New Zealand somewhere and I think that's where the idea of, of playing it in counties came from where there was a large Tongan community there.
1: Yeah, and of course, during that World Cup in 2011, we saw just how big that Tongan community was. Yeah, definitely. The powers that be are sort of uh, trying to work that out, and then hopefully in the short-term future, you'll you'll have a venue and, and, and be able to know that for sure.
3: We can only hope. I mean, it's been well, like I said earlier, it's well got documented that, you know, we have our issues of governance and administration, so there's a fair level of, um, let me say, you know, incompetence and, and, and just... Uh, unwillingness to get the job done. So all we can do is, is, is hope, but it, it seems like it's probably a bridge too far now that those qualifiers are still on the table to be played. I, I'm not sure where we are with that with those two games.
1: That's Tonga Rugby coach Totoi e Kefu. The Papua New Guinea Rugby Football Union intends to seek clarification from the courts as to who is the legitimate administrator of the game. The PNG government and Rugby Union have been in dispute since Sports Minister Justin Tachenko announced the election of Stephen Kami as PNG Rugby's interim president late last year. World Rugby warned the minister in December not to politically interfere in the running or decision-making of Rugby Union in PNG. The governing body said it did not recognise Mr Kami's administration and that Ben Frame was the duly elected president of the PNG RFU. Mr. Frame says he met with Justin Tachinko and Stephen Kami last month, but they failed to come to an agreement.
4: The administration side of TNG Rugby has always been independent people elected into the role. You just cannot have a sports minister turn around and put his own people into that role and say that he is the major stakeholder in rugby. The fact of the matter is, he survives on the sponsorship side of the business community. Uh, what we receive from the government is. A drop in the ocean compared to what other sports like rugby league receive. He, he can claim to be a major stakeholder in the game, and yes, the government has done a lot in building assets for Barber Park and uh, everything like that, but that doesn't mean that he has he can now just dictate and control the sporting code. You know, at the end of the day, it is the public's money that he is invested or has been used to go and build these facilities. Uh, that's the biggest argument. He just can't come along and put his own people into position and use his position of power to and short that the brown people get in. You know, there, there's a right way of doing that, and he's not doing it.
1: So the board was elected, and then obviously uh, Mr Carmi was put in, um, you know, by the government, and um, World Rugby well, basically, intervened.
4: Basically, basically, the PNGRFU board was always in place. We operated under a constitution. Failings from the office, the constitution wasn't registered after the 2015 AGM. It was adopted by the unions, and that was the constitution that we were going to operate under. Now, Kami and all these gentlemen have turned around and just said that the Constitution is null and void. On what grounds? Like, you know, just because you say something, that doesn't mean that it actually is null and void. Now they're trying to say that the Constitution has been null and void since 1989. Well, you know, until they can prove it, you know, they're, they're just speaking hot wings. Um, so on what grounds did they have the right to go and form their own interim committee, then have own AGM, um, they've said that they've register, registered a constitution, but have they registered a constitution because we already have a constitution registered under NTRFU, but what they've done is it's so illegal that they've just gone and assumed themselves as office bearers and the sports minister's turned around and backed it You said, yes, you are now the PTRFU, there's no as to, to justify what they've done.
1: So your position as it currently stands though is recognised by World Rugby?
4: World Rugby recognises our position.
1: And uh, we've seen in the Pacific, Fiji, Samoa, Tonga—all three have been uh, punished or penalised by World Rugby when they've had administrative issues. Uh, how much at risk is PNG of suffering a similar fate?
4: We have advised World Rugby that we're going to be working to reconcile this situation. First things first is we had to have a new aid. we had to have our ATM. You know, it had been deferred. Uh, it was deferred until January, and by recommendations from World Rugby and recommendations from the Minister of Sports here and everybody else involved that was it once again. But no, the union had to have its AGM. Our the, yeah, the, um, affiliate members are calling now for an ATM to be held. We need to move forward. We just cannot keep deferring things. And that's what Chichenko and Stephen Carmi wanted. They wanted the PNDRFU board to not be in a position where they had elected new board members. So the board, the board meeting went ahead on the 25th of January. New members... That has been passed and now we're in discussion with World Rugby to reconcile the situation, to end this, you know, we're seeking legal clarification to resolve this matter and to do what we can to bring reconciliation to all parties and start getting PNG RFU back on the right foot. We've notified World Rugby that the board meeting has happened and that this is the new board that that has been elected for PNG RFU.
1: And so you and Mr Tujinko have never been able to sit down around the table and discuss?
4: Yes, we have. We're, we've had a roundtable meeting. That was back in January. It was a meeting between myself, Stephen Kostanian and Minister Chichenko and basically it was the sense adopt adopt a new constitution and let's have a roundtable vote. My response was no. We at PNGRFU, we have a constitution that was adopted by the union just because you guys like have written up a new one doesn't mean that we adopt it. Your call for table tables to come around and sit. Uh, it's not going to work because there's too much angst at the moment. You know, you cannot get all the unions in the room at once. Uh, it will end up in a pretty hostile situation.
1: What happens here then? I mean, you talk about everybody obviously trying to, you know, you've indicated to World Rugby that you're going to try and bring this together, and obviously that's not easy. But uh, well, what's the first step? It's
4: not easy. The first step is going to the courts and determine who is the rightful PNGRF. We need confirmation as to who's the rightful is. And also put a gag order on these guys just bringing the game into disrepute. You know, the code cannot continue with the press day in, day out, um, the war on rugby continuing. Once that is done and it's determined who is the right form P&G executive, well, then we can start moving forward.
1: p g Rugby President, be in frame. Papua New Guinea's cricketers face a familiar problem in their attempts to prepare for a tour to the United Arab Emirates in April. The Barramundis returned home last week from a four-match limited-overs tour of Australia, capped off by a three-run victory over the ACT-11 in Canberra. Prior to that, their last hit-out was a three-match ODI series against Hong Kong in November. I spoke with Dipak Patel about their time in Australia and looking ahead to their next major assignment.
0: We've improved every game that we've played on this tour, and uh, it's quite a pleasing way to sort of uh, come along here and, and, and perform so, so well uh, with bat and ball. So, uh, you yeah, know, it's uh, given us a, a little bit more confidence and uh, a little bit more belief in that uh, we can come along and play these uh, sort of high-profile games and, 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 and win. So, yeah, no, very pleasing. Is today's game the most pleasing result for you of the individual matches, or is it one that stands out? Yeah, yeah, most probably, most definitely, probably the strongest team we've played here, So I think it's also the fact that the way we went about our business today, we've been working on certain plans with our batting. So that was nice that we thought how that came off, although we, we didn't get the ideal start, but we didn't want to sort of, in the past where we've sort of fallen back into our shell and trying to Straight through a total, we sort of were very positive in setting a decent total. So, target of 150 was was what we what we were expecting, but getting those extra runs was, was a huge bonus. Uh, with the bowling, uh, yeah, once again we started well, but uh, they came back hard at us in, in, the, um, in the middle stages. But uh, we, we recovered recovered very well as a death.
2: And, uh, how do you reflect
0: on the development from game one to this final one? And uh, I mean, you're only there for just over a week, I guess, all in all, but. Uh, the sort of development throughout the tour? Yeah, it is, yeah. We experimented with a couple of sort of selections and we looked at different uh, batting options in, in the batting order. So, yeah, we've tried one or two different things that we wanted to make sure that uh, by the time we get to Dubai uh, next month that uh, we've looked at all the areas and, and come up with the, the, some good batting batting and uh, plans and... Bowling plans as well as the good strategies that uh, will help us in Asian conditions.
1: And uh, obviously, some welcome match play um, as you prepare for that UAE series. Um, now that you've got these games under your belt, what do you do between now and, and heading off to Dubai?
0: Yeah, that's where it's very difficult for us, to be honest. We don't get any more cricket or cricket games, and so that's pretty unfortunate. But yeah, we, we're sort of getting to a stage now where you can only train so much in the net. Fortunately, that sort of reflects how we play when we start tours. We're very slow starters because we just haven't had the, the game time. So it's a, it's a case of having to improvise when we get back home and try and get some uh, game scenarios and open wicket sessions and so forth. So, yeah, so the next three, four weeks are, are going to be very important in our know, build-up to Dubai.
1: That's PNG cricket coach Deepak Patel, and that's the World and Sport for this week. I'm Vinnie Wiley. As always, thank you very much for listening.